Our scripture today is in 1 Chronicles chapter 26. Some of you saw that on the screen and you're still looking for it. I'd say use the table of contents or start at the front of your Bible and work your way through. If you get to the Psalms, you've gone too far. But I would like you to open to, to uh, 1 Chronicles 26 and kind of stay there because uh, we're gonna be, I'm going to be zeroing in on one verse and zeroing in on one part of that one verse. Hey, let me ask you, if I introduce myself and my job title today as the director of gatekeeping, what's the first thing that would come into your mind as you sit here? I'd say the first thing you probably would think of me is, uh, there's something wrong with that boy. Or I'm someone whose elevator doesn't go all the way to the top floor. I'm trying to impress you with some important title like, I'm the director of gatekeeping. Well, in fact, I'm a nobody. And I understand that and I recognize that. Some people have wonderful titles for what they do or who they think they are. I have a list of them, a whole page of them, and I won't bore you with all of them. But here are just a few of my favorites. I call these the creative titles. Uh, crockery cleansing operative, uh, that's a dishwasher. Uh, a vision clearance engineer, <clears throat> that's a window washer. A revenue protection officer, that's a ticket taker. A reprographics expert, that's a copy guy. And an unskilled public speaker, that's a politician. <laughs> what about this title I first mentioned? Gatekeeper. Gates are mentioned many times in Scripture. And gatekeepers were an important part of maintaining order in ancient societies. You see, gatekeepers were guards stationed for protection at various kinds of gates, which could be city gates, palace gates, temple gates, and other types of gates. People say, well, I live in a gated community, and they think that's something new. That's old, that's more ancient than ancient times itself. Ancient cities, all of them, had high, thick walls around them to keep out wild beasts and invading armies. You can read that, and of course, throughout Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter 7, chapter 5, Nehemiah, chapter 12, he came back to rebuild what? The wall. Heavy gates were set, building a wall, isn't that an interesting concept? Heavy gates were set within those walls to allow entrance and to allow exit. And a gatekeeper had to be trustworthy. A, a, a gatekeeper had to be alert for any sign of trouble. A gatekeeper lacks in, duty, in his duties could bring ruin upon an entire civilization. It was very, very important. And the idea of gatekeeping implies alertness and security. The keeper of the gates in Psalm 141.3, is none other than the Lord himself. As he guards our mouths, as he guards our thoughts, as he guards our actions, preventing us from unwise speech, unwise thoughts, and unwise deeds. Here's what it says in Psalm 141.3, if you're note-taking. Oh, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Now David and Samuel 
in different times, appointed 212 gatekeepers for positions of trust in guarding the temple of the Lord. We find this in 1 Chronicles, but you have to go back to chapter 9. Some of this I'm going to be referencing, but I'm not actually going there. I'm going to one verse and we're going to stay there. But if you're trying to get good notes, you might want to pick up on the references that I leave for you. And those who were so appointed rotated through, we think, week-long assignments. And if you see that in chapter 9, verse 25. Temple gatekeepers oversaw who went into that area and who came out of that area. And they ensured order and they ensured reverence for the house of God. Now, if you look at this, you can easily see a parallel for our own lives. Our conscience, the fear of the Lord, and the Holy Spirit are gatekeepers for our hearts. Through the fear of the Lord, Proverbs 16 says, evil is avoided. Can I, can I read that verse for you again, Proverbs 16, 6? Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. The Spirit desires our sanctification and our growth in sanctification, giving us the power to repel sin. When temptation comes knocking at our gate, and temptation knocks at our gate, doesn't it? The Holy Spirit nudges our scripture-informed conscience and says, that's dangerous. Do not go there. Do not yield to that temptation. Do not dip your sails. Do not come down to that level. The divine gatekeeper acts on our behalf to keep invaders from destroying us spiritually. When we ignore our gatekeeper, we put ourselves... And we put those who we love in jeopardy. But when we do, in godly fear, heed the warnings of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, we're safe. We're safe. That's our only safety in this life. Uh, and our hearts and our lives are then protected from Satan's invasive schemes and onslaughts. And we all have those. And if you haven't experienced that, buckle up, because you will. So today's text, it's kind of strange how I'm doing this, is coming from one verse in 1 Chronicles 26. How many of you are still looking for 1 Chronicles? Okay, you wouldn't admit it if you were, right? It's right ahead of 2 Chronicles. I wanted to give you a little hint there. Now, seriously, 1 Chronicles 26. How many of you are following along in Scripture, either with your Bible or your app or your, some other device that you're... Okay, good, great. I just want to know that I'm, I'm talking to somebody who's following what I'm saying because I'm moving around. But I'm going to get to this one verse and we're going to stay there. And I'm going to read it, interestingly enough, from four different versions of the Bible, if I could. But all of them are the same verse. And I'm going to start at the King James Version, the KJV. And we're going to read, it should be on, oh yeah, it's on the screen already. We're going to read them together, if you don't mind. That means we'll all read. So let's read 1 Chronicles 26, 18 from the KJV. At Parbar Westward, four at the causeway, two. I know what you're thinking. What on earth kind of application 
does that verse have to my life right now in 2019? At Parbar Westward, four at the causeway, and two at Parbar. First Chronicles 26, 18 from the New Living Translation kind of broadens it a little bit. The exact same verse, let's read it together. Six were assigned each day to the west gate, four to the gateway leading up to the temple, and two... Good. Now we're going to move to the message. And this kind of broadens it again and puts it down into our language of the day, First Chronicles 26, 18. And it reads like this. Read, um, read with me. It starts at the open court. At the open court to the west, four guards were posted on the road and two at the court. Good job. Those who are reading are doing a great job. Those who aren't are being very defiant. So everybody read with me this last time. First Chronicles 26, 18. We're doing it easy now. We're going to the NIV, and I'd like everybody to join in and read. As for the court to the west, there were four at the road and two at the court itself. Now, I'm jumping all the way back to the KJV because it's one of my favorite verses of Scripture, and I just love it from the first time I heard it, and that's got to be at least 35, 40 years ago. At Parbar Westward, four at the causeway, and two at Parbar. And again, you're saying, what on earth has this got to do with me? And I can answer your question, by the way, in one word. Everything. Everything. Because you have a choice. And I'm hoping that when you leave here today, you've got it settled. For you, the causeway or parbar? How often do you read the Bible? How often... Do you study the Bible? Hmm. Have you ever read your Bible and you come across a verse, something like this text that we just read, and you wonder, why did God put that in the Bible? Why is that there? It, it, it seems like it's so obscure. It seems like it doesn't fit there and it may not fit anywhere. I wonder why it's there. Let me explain. No verse in the Bible is just there to fill space. But it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Is our text that we just read together, is it scripture? Yes. Then it's profitable to instruct us in righteousness. Jesus himself said, Matthew 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Did our text that we just read a few minutes ago proceed out of the mouth of God? Yes. Then it is a verse we need to live by. At Parbar Westward, four at the causeway, two at Parbar is just as inspired and infallible and inerrant and complete as John 
or the 23rd Psalm. Facetiously, one pastor in another church announced one day that 1 Chronicles 26, 18 is a verse that would solve all your problems. Of course, it worked, because by the time a person found the verse and figured out what it meant, he forgot about his problems. What's happening here in 1 Chronicles 26? Glad you asked, because I can bring it into context for you. David is giving specific instructions concerning the organization of service at the temple. 1 Corinthians 14, Paul reminds us, our God is a God of order. All things should be done decently and in order. And so there were 4,000 Levites assigned as guards over various posts around the temple treasury. They were called porters. How many of you are familiar with that word? A porter. Yeah. That comes from the word port. A port is an opening, as in porthole, port of entry, like, like the port of New York or the port of San Diego or the port of Ellsworth or whatever. No, there's a port of Ellsworth, too. I know. I was the mayor of Ellsworth during 9-11. And the port of Ellsworth was completely closed. No boats could go up the river, down the river, or off their moorings. You laugh at that, but that was generally across the United States of America. So, uh, uh, and, and another thing a port is, those of you that are techies, it's a connection point in a computer, isn't it? Isn't it? Or, uh, so we're talking here about a porter, that would be a doorkeeper or a gatekeeper, if you want to call that person a guard. And these people were posted at specific locations at the Temple Mount around the clock. There were four watches and there was always somebody on duty. Now Parbar, why is that significant? Well, it was a small inconspicuous suburb or a compartment. It's not really identified in geographical terms, but it was adjacent to the west side of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. If you were to go on a tour of the Holy Land and you were at the Temple Mount, they could explain that area for you. There was also a causeway or a raised road or a connecting road. Most everybody's been over some form of a causeway heading, leading from Parbar to the very gate of the Temple. Two porters were stationed at Parbar, and four were positioned on the causeway leading to the temple gate. In this whole account, the temple is spoken of as if it were existing when it was not as yet even built. So we suppose David formed the whole plan of the temple. It's just intricate. The stations and the positions and the number of porters, number of Levites, although it was left for Solomon to carry out David's instructions. Now, coming that far, just with a historical basis, we can now ask, well, what is God's instruction for us today as we take it from 1 Chronicles 26, 18? Well, the first instruction is we need direction. We need the direction of our attention. And if you're working around in 1 Chronicles 26, you look at verse 17 as well. I'm not going to take time to read it with or for you, but look at verse 17, how it fits into verse 18, and it talks about direction there. See, direction indicates a goal. It indicates your goal. It indicates where are you going. 
It indicates that you're going somewhere if you're headed in a direction. And I want to talk about a direction for your life, which includes the appointed place to serve. See, the porters couldn't just choose any old place to guard. The Bible says in, in verse 13 and 14 that the, they cast lots to determine God's will for their service. Direction is God's will for your life. Where does God want me to serve him? I have people ask me that a lot, and I'm not God, and I can't tell you where God wants you to serve him. That absolutely is an individual uh, matter, and you need to get that settled, and if you've never settled it, this would be a great day to do it. So, so Bob, does God want me to serve him as a blank? Fill in the blank. I, 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 I don't know. God's not talking to me about where you're to serve. God's talking to you. Are you listening? So, so like, what should I just really uh, give my attention to? What should I invest my time and my talent and my interest? And where should my focus be? Well, you just stay with me and we'll figure that one out. Let me just say this. If you, we shouldn't be double-minded here. Or anything beyond double-minded, like we're going in six directions at one time. That's not direction. I remember the story, and it's a true story, uh, how some scientists digging around found a two-headed turtle down near Richmond, Virginia. And it was taken in for study, but after it was brought into that new environment, it died. And Dr. William Reams, who was a professor of biology at the University of Richmond, said, and I quote, it died from a conflict of interest. And any two-headed living thing is going to die from a conflict of interest. Man cannot serve two masters. You can't live two lives. You can't have one foot in the world and the other one in the church or in your Christianity or in your religion or whatever you call it. We must be fully persuaded in our own minds where God wants us, where God wants me to serve him. Every Christian has a ministry, a place in God's service. Are you in that place? Oh, oh, you say, Pastor Bob, I, uh, I'm not a preacher or, or a pastor. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. Every job in the kingdom is important. Did you hear that? Every job in the kingdom is important. From history, this little saying, I love it. For lack of a shoe, the horse was lost. For lack of a horse, the battle was lost. For lack of winning the battle, the war was lost. Seeming little things cause great losses. I think it was Solomon who said, it's the little foxes that spoil the vines. Huh? This has been a big week, uh, I don't know if you realize it or not, in space exploration. How many have ever heard of Miss Meir, Miss Jessica Meir? 
And where's she from? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that phenomenal? A young lady from Caribou, Maine, born and brought up there, graduate of Caribou High School, and then it would take the rest of the day for me to give you the rest of her resume. If you have not read it, go online and find it. It is incredible. Made history just two days ago. Made history with another female astronaut. The first time a spacewalk was ever done by two women, just they're on their own, the two of them, outside of that uh, space station. She's talking to people in Caribou. Later, she's talking to the president in Washington. She's going to be talking to some of the school kids in Caribou High in a few days. Just the most incredible thing. What a proud moment for America. What a, it's history. It's very historic. What a proud moment for the state of Maine. And what a proud moment for that great city of Caribou. I'm going to tell people, boy, we had a patriotic service at our church Sunday. I got in the patriotic thing. I had three people applaud. That's about where we are in America, too. We've forgotten, we've forgotten to be proud. It's, it's awful. It's awful. But that's just a wonderful thing. And it's just been such a great week. I have followed every piece of that all along the way. All the interviews, all the, the coverage of the walk. It's just been unbelievable. The space shuttle... Challenger, 33 years ago, on January 28, 1986, just 73 seconds after liftoff, exploded, bringing a devastating end to the spacecraft's 10th mission. And then that disaster claimed the lives of all seven of our astronauts. It was later determined that the rubber O-rings, which had been designed to separate the sections of the rocket booster, had failed. You'd think it'd be some big technological engine or battery system or electronics or who knows what. A two little rubber O-rings. See, it's the small foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines. It's the little things that mess us up, that we think, ah, nothing to that. So we have the appointed place to serve. I'm going to come back to that. I hope that's gotten your attention for the moment. And then you need the ability to serve. And you'll see those verses are covered in verses 4 through 8. Since these porters guarded the treasury of God, they had to be capable people. They were qualified in many areas, a few. They were committed. That is, they were all in. See, some people are in, or they're almost in, or they're on the periphery, but they're not all in. And then there were people of sound character. Verse 6 tells us that, uses the word valor. That's the strength of character. That's integrity, that's firmness, that's zeal, that's energy. And they rolled up their sleeves and, it, and they gave it all they had. And you know what they did? They went all in. 
They didn't go part way in. They went all in. And then they were consistent if you see verses 7 and 8. And just let those uh, words float around in your head. You see the word strong. Strong indicates a persistent strength that wouldn't quit. Winners don't quit. Quitters don't win. They wouldn't back down. They wouldn't leave their post. They kept on keeping on. The greatest ability is dependability. It's not availability. It's dependability. And then another great qualification that these people had is their counsel. Verse 14, they were men of wisdom. They were men of wise counsel. I love that word wisdom is in there. So all of that in direction. Do you have direction? Are you headed in the direction that God intends for you to go? Are you serving where God intends for you to serve? And God's instructions also include, secondly, a decision. What's the decision? You can, I'm using verse 13 as my background here. Our decision is of our alignment. Who are we lining up with? Who are we identifying with? Who, who, with whom are we identifying? Who, who will be, I wonder, the four at the causeway? And I wonder which two are going to serve at Parbar. And I wonder who's going to serve on which shift, which of the four watches. In other words, I think what I'm asking you personally, not co collectively, is where is your parbar? Oh no, it didn't have any relevance to us, did it? Mm -hmm. My friend, once you've determined God's direction, isn't that where you're going? Yes. Then you must decide to go in that direction. I have people that I've talked to for years who have decided to do this, to do that, to do something else for God. And that's all they've done. They're still sitting where they sit because they decided, but they never did it. Once you decide that direction that God's calling you to, then you need to go in that direction. Now, I may, I may drive into some yards here. Making decisions is difficult for some people. And even if you're one of those people, you can go, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As if you're not one, and everybody will think, well, gee, I wish I could make decisions, but yeah, he or she, you then, yeah. Making decisions is difficult for some people. They just can't decide. I should do this. I could do that. I might do that. I'd like to do that. That would be cool. I don't know if I can have... I... The prophet of old said, How long halt you between two opinions? How long are you going to stay in neutral, more like in park, thinking I'm going to do this, and I'm going to, or when I get, or when this gets, or when, mm -hmm. 
Pastor, I'm going to come to church when I get straightened out. I've met all kinds of people who came to church and they were straightened out. They were in a box. See? See? Decision half made up here. But nothing else ever done. A man knocked on the door of a farmer one time and he said, Sir, do you have any odd jobs that I could do? I need to earn some money. And the farmer was a kind-hearted gentleman and he did have a lot of work on the, on the farm. And he said, Sure do. He said, My barn needs painting. I think it'd take you about three days if you're any kind of a painter. And if it takes you a little longer, that's fine. You can start tomorrow if you can. Boy, the fellow came back in the morning and he started painting and he painted all day. And after the day was over, he asked the farmer, Well, I finished painting the barn. Do you have anything else I can do tomorrow? Farmer was surprised. He did the whole barn in one day. He said, How did you finish so fast? The man answered, He said, Well, I just love to paint. Okay, said the farmer. I have some wood that needs to be cut, and this is a little bit tougher. And that's going to take you, I'd say, two days for that pile of wood that's out there. Next day, the man, man finished cutting all the wood, and he asked if the farmer had any other jobs. And again, the farmer was amazed that he cut all the wood, and he did it in one day. How in the world did you get all of that wood cut in one day? The man said, yeah, i got to tell you, I like to cut wood. Well, I have some potatoes on the barn floor that need sorting. Just put the small potatoes in one box, put the medium-sized potatoes in another box, and then the large ones, the really big ones, put them in another box, and I think that would take you two or three hours or half a day or whatever you want to take. Next day, the man shows up to sort the potatoes, and after the day is over, the farmer goes into the barn, just wondering how the man's coming along or how he did that day, and he's sitting there in the midst of the potatoes with about ten potatoes in one box. The farmer said, I don't understand. I don't understand you. You are the fastest barn painter that I ever saw. You are the fastest woodcutter that I ever saw. But you've only sorted ten potatoes all day long. What is your problem? And the man answered, decisions! I have a hard time making decisions! Put the small potatoes in one box. Put the medium-sized potatoes in another box. Put the large potatoes in another box. And he sat all day with ten potatoes. Why? Decisions. And he's just exactly like some people I know. They can't make the decision to even get out of their own way. They don't even realize that the traffic that they've stopped up is their own traffic. They are now immobile. They're not moving. There's no inertia. When you know where God has directed you to be, you need to go in that direction. And you need to make the decision and follow through. We need to learn to make decisions, folks. Christians, we need to learn to make decisions. The most important decision you will ever make in this life while you're drawing breath is to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. And I want to implore you, if you've never done that, don't play around with that decision. 
Don't mix that up with religion or churchiosity or anything else. That is the one most important decision you will ever, 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 ever make. Nobody can make it for you. Nobody can stand in in your place. Nobody can explain it away. That's just the way it is. I am the way, Jesus said, the truth and the life. So I've just given you the truth. Second most important decision, I believe, is to serve your Savior for the rest of your life, whatever's left. And hopefully it would be in or through or in the auspices of a local church, which of course is biblically mandated. And the first most, uh, the third most important decision is to say, I will seek to obey him in all things. Not only do I know him, not only do I need him, not only do I want him, but I am going to serve him with every fiber of my being. Decisions. Decisions. We need to learn to make decisions. It is time to ask yourself this question. If everybody in my church was like me, what would my church be? God is the God of order. Four at the causeway, and two at Parbar. The causeway then was a connector or a bridge or whatever you want to call it that leads into this suburb called Parbar. And at this crossover stood four guards. I can't prove it, but I can assume that they were there to check people before they could enter the town or that area of the temple. You see, only Jesus could, oh, excuse me, I, uh, strike that. Only Jews could go into the holy place in the temple but non-Jews could go into the courtyard of the temple. And they did. And they still do. And of course, you had to be qualified to be a guard. And I'm so glad there are all kinds of qualifications here in the early chapters of 1 Chronicles. And the reason I'm glad is, you know what that says to me? That if you're called of God to serve him, you are so, capital S, capital O, underlined and circled in red, you are so important to God. Turn to someone and say, I am important to God. And I am important to God. Whew, that made me feel good right there. And there's some poor sappy soul sitting here saying, well, I don't want to be that, sound proud and, and presumptuous. I don't think I'm in a place where I can say that. Well, I don't care what you think you are in or where you think you are or what place you think you occupy. I'm going to tell you some truth this morning. You are important to God Almighty. You wouldn't be sitting here taking in his air if you weren't. Just as simple as that. Just as simple as that. And he wants you to be part of his kingdom. He wants you to be active in the ministry of the kingdom. He wants you to serve him where you're called to serve. Hey, if everybody in my church was like me, what would my 
church be? Hmm. So for you, the causeway or parbar? Hmm. And the third instruction to us from God through this chapter, I believe, is what I call division. And these are not new or random new thoughts. They're very orderly thoughts. They've been used before. The division of our authority. That you can find in verse 1 of chapter 26. That you can find in verse 12 and 13 of chapter 26. That you can find in verse 19 of uh, the next chapter, of the next verse in this chapter 26. I mean, it's all there. We find degrees of responsibility. Nobody has all the responsibility. Some people walk around like they do, or they make you believe that they have all the responsibility, but they don't. So everyone has a job. Let me tell you who the porters were. Porters were men of the tribe of Levi. All priests had to be Levites from that family, but all Levites were not priests. All Levites needed to be available to serve in some area of God's ministry, or God's house, they called it. Some of them were porters, chapter 26, 1. Others were musicians, chapter 25, 1. Some were chief, in other words, they were like uh, uh, leaders or elders, verses 10 and 12. Some were small, some were great, some were rulers, verse 24. All Levites needed to be available to serve in some area of God's ministry, but not all Levites were priests. Likewise, all pastors must be Christians, but not all Christians are pastors. Aren't you glad? And if you're not and you wish you were one, I'll take 15 minutes with you after service to change your mind. All Christians should serve in some ministry capacity. And I could probably name 50, but I'm just going to rattle off a few that you'd be familiar with, and so would I. You know yourself, and we always, uh, we always put these people up on a pedestal, and so we should. Some are called to be missionaries, and when we say missionary, that used to mean something more than, and different than what it means today, but I'm saying, generally speaking, those who are ministering the gospel in various ways, in various areas, away from their own home, their own area of the country, maybe their own nation, and, and doing a mission in God's name. Some are called to be elders or leaders particularly within the local fellowships. Some are called to be teachers. We wouldn't have this church ministry, we, we wouldn't have a faith community ministry without our teachers, period. Those who are called to teach and are teaching. Some are nursery workers. Some are nursery workers. They're down in Treasure Bay. We call it Treasure Bay for a reason, because those... Yeah, that's the treasure house there. That's where the gems are there. That's where the real, real value is 
there. And I'm not devaluing anyone else. I'm just saying, if you don't have somebody in, and by the way, that's not a babysitting service. In Treasure Bay, our little children, our little infants, our little toddlers get taught the word and the love and the grace of God. That doesn't excite you, does it? I take a walk down there every Sunday, and I like to peek my head in and just see who's there and what's going on. And I like to stir up a couple of kids and get them crying, and, get, and then I leave. <laughs> it's the coolest feeling, yeah. And then I stand up here somewhere to see if I can hear them. Are they still crying? No, I don't do that. Thank God for the Treasure Bay workers. I could stand here and say, thank God for this one, thank God for that one, thank God for I'm just saying, thank God for the Treasure Bay workers. You know what? Those are called ministers of God. I thank God for musicians, and I thank God for people who think they're musicians. That's okay. That's okay. You don't have to be a musician to think you're a musician and to do things musicians do. That's fine. And then others are greeters. You're really good. Some of you in the parking lot... You act a fool. Well, I don't think you're acting. You just you're foolish out there, and 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 you get people smiling. You have you you obviously get people wondering. Thank God for those people. And then they hit the door, and we've got somebody holding the door, or greeting, or saying good morning. And then some are coffee servers. I know, I know, I know. You don't think that's a ministry? Tell Starbucks that. Some do custodial work. Hey, Thursday night, we had a blast here. I mean a blast. And when it was over, and the sugar high was running rampant. I mean, those kids were jacked. <laughs> Talladega was nothing compared to what we had here Thursday night. And I think I saw every lap, because I was at the back most of the time. And the laps around that table were, I think we set new records. Numbers of laps and speed. But you know when you got ready and you got your duds on and you headed out the door and you went home? There was a trail over here. And there was a trail here. And under those chairs there was another trail. And there was a trail back where the tables were. Uh, yeah, that's right, a trail of food. Man, we could have fed the third army just with what was on the floor. And I just came out of the green room and was walking through, and I saw people sweeping. I saw people moving chairs. I saw people repositioning tables for the next event. I saw all kinds of stuff happening, custodial stuff. Nobody's going to write that up in the paper and say, well, Mr. and Mrs., yeah, they cleaned up afterwards. What a great job they did. That's not what it's about. If you're looking for praise, you've already got it because you're important to God and God's called you to a ministry, so just do it. Because in our own lives, that's all we're supposed to be doing is praising God anyway, amen? So let's just praise Him. And we have people who count money. You say, well, what do you do when that money comes in? Well, I put, I put the church money in my right pocket. I put my lunch money in the other pocket. And, you know, whichever pocket is bigger, that determines where I'm going to lunch. no. We have, I, never see, I have never seen a penny in 22 years, and, and that's no word of a lie. I've never touched a, a dollar 
of any money. That can. We have people who are entrusted with that ministry. What a, what a ministry. I've always thought, wouldn't it be great <laughs> to, to get in on that? But I um, never have in all my time in a church. And, and we, have other, we have other jobs. Uh, we have um, marathon water suppliers. We're not down there having fun today, and I hope they are having fun. We're down there representing the Lord Jesus Christ that we love. And our banner says, loving God, loving people. And every runner has to go by that banner. And some of them stop, and some of them get their glass of water. Some of them are given the water as they run. We're at the 20-mile mark. I'd definitely be stopping there looking for the stretcher. But anyway, um, or the hearse. Um, you see? Folks, I, I'm just I'm getting folksy here, but we must recognize our spiritual gifts. We must recognize our place in the body of Christ. When you do, you'll get excited. Trust me. You won't know what hit you, and nobody else will. And you you may not you may not even be responsible for what you do, but when it hits you, it's going to be exciting. And you realize, man, I'm a hand or I'm a foot as Paul talks about this, or I'm an eye in the body, or I'm one of the comely parts. That's the seen parts. I might even be one of the uncomely parts, the unseen part. But I'm just par- glad to be part of the body of Christ. Wow. So everyone's job is important. Did I say that? I'm going to repeat it. Everyone's job is important. You see, here, here are the porters out there, four at the causeway and two at Parbar. They never, ever offered up a sacrifice. They never ever went in and, and burned incense in the holy place. You know, a porter might not be considered the big job on the surface, but it was important. Why? Because they guarded the treasures of the house of God. And there were a lot of treasures inside that temple. And I mean treasures. Mm. You see, God has a place. God has a job for you to do, even if it's some out, in some out of the way inconspicuous place like Ellsworth. I, I mean, um, God has a place for you. God has a par bar for you. It's, it's, it's a, par bar is only mentioned, in the King James Bible, it's only mentioned one time. You say, so what's the significance of this? This is silly. Why would you try to make something out of nothing? This just seems so obscure. Why do you, it doesn't seem obscure to me. It seems very, very, very realistic. It seems very much in the moment of where we are and where we should be. One time it's mentioned in the King James Bible, but it was important enough to appoint six guards. <laughs> it's only mentioned one time, but six guards. And by the way, on all four sides, there were six guards in each place, so there were 24 guards. So it was equal there. But it was important enough to appoint six guards between it and the temple, which only proves that the, listen carefully, the slightest task can have great significance. You in a children's ministry, are you helping there? Don't you ever say, well, I don't do much there, church. I only, don't use that word only on me. <laughs> I detest that word, I only. Did God call you to a ministry? Do you have a place in that? Are you doing faithfully what God called you to do? Well, then stand up and hold your head high and take thanks from us and respect from all the rest of us for doing a job like that. 
and it's not even a job. Are you teaching? Are you a teacher? You should be teaching. Are you teaching small children? Look, that's just, look, look, teaching small children is just as important, sometimes I think even more so, as a pastor preaching a message from a pulpit. When you're teaching a small child, you're inculcating or you're putting into them values and truth huh? and reality and life itself and what it's about, life and eternity, what it's about from the youngest age up, right? When you're in a pulpit like this preaching to a mishmash of people who've got it all together, Mostly what you're doing is picking up pieces and saying, here, give these to God. He'll put them back together. It's different. Those are different ministries. God puts some people in small but out-of-the-way mission stations. Some people he puts in in churches, like thousands of members. I was was listening to a pastor the other day, and they they were reminding us that he has 30,000 members in his church. Uh, He's in a large metropolitan area, can I say? He's not in Hancock County, so don't worry. I'm saying all that to say we all have the same, exact same responsibility of being faithful. Listen to me, wherever God puts us. Boy, when that gets in your head and down into your heart and starts operating in your soul, your whole idea of ministry is going to change. Your definition of church is going to be radically changed. Dependability in our assignment. Where the four on the causeway and the two at Parbar were dependable. I believe if it was raining, they were there. I believe if it was 110 degrees, they were there. I believe if they were there on a certain shift, they were doing their job. They weren't slacking off. I believe they were faithful to every shift. A porter was not allowed to leave his assigned post until the job or the shift was complete. Can I say it one more time? The greatest ability is not availability. It is dependability. A lot of people say, yeah, I can be available, but you can't depend on them. It would have been no good to appoint the best guards at Parbar and on the causeway if they didn't show up for duty. Huh? You can own the fanciest, fastest, most fully equipped car in Hancock County, but if it doesn't start every time you need to go somewhere and you go out and it doesn't start, what good is that car? It's a showpiece, that's all it is. You may have the most beautiful singing voice in the church or in any church. If you're not using it for God's glory, you're wasting it. You may be a great teacher. If you don't show up to teach, you're wasting it. And it's not just teaching little children. It could be teaching a small group. It could be teaching adults. It could be, there are many ways that teaching can be utilized. I'm just asking one more time. Where is your parbar? There's a gate. There's a gate. Remember we started with gates? There's a gate at Faith Community that needs a porter to stand his or her post. Where's your causeway to serve in? Where's your place in the work of God's kingdom? Ask 
yourself. And I'll close with this. If everybody in our church served the Lord like I do, not, you're asking yourself, so I'm not saying this. What could our church accomplish? Let's all just to ourselves ask ourselves this question. Let's just take like 30 seconds and ask it. And I'll just read it for you. If everybody in our church served the Lord like blank your name, I do. What could this church accomplish? For you. You, you, you. The causeway? Or Parbar? And we'll pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for, for the work of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that the Holy Spirit has inspired and brought together the words of the Scripture that we love so much. And this verse of Scripture, which seems obscure and doesn't seem to even fit and doesn't even seem to apply to me or to anybody else here, has all kinds of application in each of our lives. We may have seen it before and cruised over it. We may never have even noticed it before. We may never have really delved into it before. And there may be several, there may be a hundred other verses in the precious word like that. But God, it does us, uh, uh, it does us well to once in a while just put the brakes on and take a look, and ask these questions that we've asked this morning, and say, I need to be in my parbar. I need to be on my causeway. I need to be doing what God has called me to do. I need direction. I need to go in that direction. I need to make a decision. I need to be dependable in the decision I make. And if I would serve like I know I should serve, and if everybody around me served here in the ministry and the outreach of faith community, what could result in that? Ah, not just for time, not just for today, not for the next year, but for all of eternity. There are decisions to be made here today. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray you'll come in the power of your spirit with conviction. And I pray that those decisions that need to be made will be made. All to the honor and the praise and the glory of God through Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.